You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. And as I was thinking about this week, as I was getting ready for this message, it kind of dawned on me uh, that I have a little bit of a boring life at times, and uh, we, we have some routines in our family. Uh, and so one of the things that, that we do every week, uh, at least we, we do each day, is uh, we get home from work. Uh, we usually have dinner together. We'll have some sort of family activity uh, together, something we'll, we'll do, whether it's the boys and I playing some video games, board games, hanging out, that kind of stuff. And then we get the boys in bed, and that provides Audrey and I uh, some time just to spend a little bit of time together uh, each night. And so we'll spend time connecting, talking, uh, that kind of stuff. And then usually just to unwind, uh, we'll spend uh, some time watching uh, a TV show or a movie before bed. Uh, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I'm very selective about when I do watch TV because I don't want to waste uh, that time. And so sometimes Audrey and I will watch a show together, or sometimes we part ways and we watch our own show because we have a little bit different of taste. And uh, I've realized uh, I've been in, in what they call a show hole for the last month or so. Uh, I have nothing to watch. Uh, there's no shows that, that really intrigue me. And, and so if you have a, a recommendation, if you're watching a good show, uh, let me know because I will, I will check it out. Uh, and so I've been watching Netflix. That means just you scroll through Netflix looking for something to watch. And, uh, and so what I've done is uh, I've been watching shows or movies that I've seen like a hundred times. And, and what I realized is that all these shows and movies have something in common. Uh, every single one of them is what I would call a comeback story. Uh, that I love a, a good underdog story. I love a story about uh, the guy who's, who's not supposed to win, the guy that all the odds are, are against him, and yet somehow he prevails. And so I think of, of movies like Rocky, you know, all 27 of them. Uh, but, you know, you think about Rocky, the underdog from Philadelphia who's never supposed to win, and at the end of the match, yo, Adrian, I did it! And he's all beat up, and he does that 27 times. And I think they're even making a new one, which how exciting is that? I think about the karate kid, you know, Danielson, getting picked on by the bullies, and with the help of Mr. Miyagi, they're going to the all-state karate tournament, and after the other team plays dirty and chops him in the knee, he pulls off the crane kick to win. I mean, that's a, a comeback story. Uh, I think of the movie Rudy. I'm trying to give you good suggestions, folks. The movie Rudy, you know, the kid from Indiana who wants to Hey, wants to play Notre Dame football. The problem is he's too small to play football, but he has a big heart. And so with all the turmoil, with all the trial, with getting beat up, he finally makes it in one play in one game, and he sacks the quarterback. I mean, like, that's a comeback story. Now, I, I realize, ladies, you're probably not intrigued with many of those movies. But let me tell you, ladies, that's why you like HGTV and Fixer Upper. Uh, because you, you see a, a couple like Chip and Joanna Gaines that buy this dilapidated home that's about to fall over and needs thousands of dollars of work. And somehow they go in and they fix it up, throw up a little shiplap, throw up some paint. They go to a big garage sale, buy some things. And the home's amazing. Because here's the thing. I think inside of every single one of us is a desire to see a really good comeback story. That I think it's actually hardwired in our soul that we know 
that we're made for more than what we're experiencing, that we know there's something powerful and significant about a redemptive story. And here's, here's what we discovered this week, that God loves a comeback story. In fact, not only does God love a comeback story, but God promises you and he promises me a comeback story for our lives. In fact, that's, that's the entire theme of the Bible, that redemption, it's a, it's a coming back story that God is pursuing people so that they can return to him, so they can come back into a relationship with him where we can experience everything he's always intended for us to experience. And that God actually pursues us, that God actually takes steps to make that happen, that God loves us before we ever love him, that he pursues us before we ever have thoughts of him. God loves a comeback story. In fact, God promises you and he promises me a redemption story for our lives. And as we think about redemption, as we think about God pursuing us and inviting us into a relationship with him, here's, here's the big idea in case you fall asleep or tune out. Purpose, purpose in your life and my life, purpose is an extension of redemption. We can try to find all kinds of purposes for our lives, but we truly discover our purpose when we truly discover redemption that's found in Christ and Christ alone. That's God's promise to you and God's promise to me that in Christ we would discover salvation, that we would discover freedom, that we would discover purpose, that we would discover family. But all of those things are a byproduct or an extension of first having a relationship with God where we've been saved by Jesus because of his life, his death, and his resurrection. In fact, that's what I love about Luke 15, the passage that we're in this morning, is that Jesus is actually hanging out with a group of tax collectors and sinners, and they're actually sharing a meal together. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible or you're wondering why in the world would Luke kind of make it clear that Jesus is eating dinner with sinners and tax collectors, uh, it's because tax collectors were worse than sinners. And so like, uh, if you entered in a room and said, hey, I'm looking for the tax collectors, the sinners would be like, hey, not here. We're not as bad as them. Like that's, you got to go all the way to the back for the tax collectors because the tax collectors were literally uh, Jewish men who partnered with Rome. And they were given the authority by Rome to really extort and steal with the authority of Rome under the guise of taxes. And so like you could just kind of make up taxes. Somebody could walk by your tax booth. You'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, I have to charge you the walk by my booth tax. Oh, I saw you went grocery shopping today. I have to tax you again. Oh, I saw that you traveled down the road again. I'm gonna ha you know, it's kind of like living in Illinois. There's just a lot of taxes. And sinners were like, hey, we, we won't rob you like the tax collectors rob you, but Jesus is having dinner. And I want you to think about this, is that they're having dinner, they're sharing a meal. I think there's laughter, there's joy, because here's what we see all throughout the Gospels. People who were nothing like Jesus always liked to be around Jesus. And wherever Jesus was, there was always a good time that Jesus brought joy. Jesus brought things like gratitude. Jesus brought things like peace, that wherever Jesus was, there was already a, always a little bit of a party going on. And so what happens is, is that Jesus is eating and celebrating, and then 
the religious people show up to the barbecue. And things get a little bit tense, and things get a little bit awkward. Because they see Jesus spending time with both sinners and tax collectors, and they think, hey, Jesus, rather than passing that guy the ketchup, you should be passing condemnation on him. Like, hey, Jesus, instead of uh, celebrating and laughing with the sinners and tax collectors, uh, we think you should be telling them that they're doomed to go to hell. And I think there's a little bit of jealousy. I think they're going, hey, Jesus, if you were going to have a barbecue with anybody, how come we weren't invited? And I love this because I want you to think about this. Sometimes we read through Scripture way too fast. So Jesus is at a meal, and they're celebrating. Stuff's getting passed. There's laughter. There's good times. And all of a sudden, uh, this is where you kind of cue the evil music, dun, dun, dun. You know, the bad guys walk in, the religious guys. And, and all of a sudden, the atmosphere changes. Things get a little bit tense. And there's this, you know, look at what Jesus is doing. He's eating with them. He's celebrating with them. How could he do that? And I love this because Jesus is like, hey, can I tell you a story? Like, which was totally unexpected. Like, they want Jesus to answer, and Jesus is like, hey, can I, I, can I, can I tell you a story? And he actually tells three stories. The, the first story he tells is a parable. Whenever Jesus tells a story or a parable, he's trying to achieve a couple things. He's trying to reveal to his audience uh, what our Heavenly Father is like. He tries to reveal what he is like, what Jesus is like, what his mission is. And then he always tries to reveal uh, what God is doing, uh, what the kingdom of heaven is like, what it means to experience God in our lives. And so Jesus goes, hey, can I tell you a story? And so the first story he tells is, is a story about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. That's a, a lot of sheep. That's a guy that if he can watch that flock and care for that flock, uh, he'll make a good amount of money. That's his living. Jesus goes, hey, there's a shepherd that has a hundred sheep, and he loses one of the sheep. And everybody goes, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we, we get this. A shepherd would go after the lost sheep. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, he, he does. He goes after the lost sheep, that he leaves the 99 who are safe in the pen to go after the one that is lost. And he says, and you know what happens is that shepherd finds his lost sheep, and he brings it home. And when he brings it home, he celebrates and Jesus says this, he says, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus goes, I, I want you to get what's going on here. I'm a shepherd looking for his lost sheep. And Jesus, let me, let me tell you another story. He says, there's a woman who loses a coin. And what Jesus says is that she has 10 coins. And so when she loses one coin, she loses a tenth of her wealth. And so every single one of us probably has some loose change down in our couch somewhere. But here's what you know. If you lose a $20 bill, you're going to spend a little bit of time looking for that. Like you're not going to let that one fall into the couch without sticking your hand down there. I mean, you're going to spend time looking for that $20 bill. And she says this woman loses a tenth of her wealth. And so she turns the house upside down looking for her coin. And when she finds her coin, she calls her friends and says, would you celebrate with me? And Jesus says, just so I tell you that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus is trying to reveal the heart of the Father. And then Jesus says, hey, can I tell you another story? And he tells a story about a father who has two sons. 
And what we know is that the Father is a good Father. Because remember when Jesus tells parables, we, we try to find ourselves in the story, but we try to find God in the story. And, and so Jesus is saying, hey, there's a guy that's the Father, and this Father represents God. So we can assume that the Father is a good guy, that there's no reason for his children to hate him or rebel against him, that it is possible for good parents to have rebellious children. But what Jesus does tell us is this guy is a smart businessman, that he, he has some wealth, he knows how to handle his finances, he, he understands investing and spending and saving, that he's a good employer, that he has staff that's underneath him, and that he's been very successful in all that he's done. And what Jesus tells us is that one of the sons comes to the father and he dishonors the father. And what he says to him, he says, hey dad, um, I've been thinking about the direction of my life, and here's what I've decided. The best thing that could happen to me is that you would die. Because if you would die, then I could get what's coming to me. I could get my inheritance. So don't miss this. What he's saying is, hey, Dad, you've worked really hard. You've spent your money, invested your money, and saved your money really, really well. I haven't done any of that, but I know that when you die, I'm going to get a lot of resources, a lot of finances. I'm going to become a wealthy person. So here's what I've decided. I want to speed up your life process and hope that you die so I can get what you're leaving me. And what Jesus says is that he dishonors the Father and the father, because he loves him, cashes in his retirement. He sells some assets. He liquidates some of his finances so that he can buy his son out of the family. Now, historically, what would have happened is that if you had uh, two sons in this time, the oldest son would receive two-thirds of the inheritance. Uh, the youngest son would receive one-third. And the reason for that is the oldest son would essentially become the leader of the family. So not only would he become just the leader of the business, he would also become the leader of the immediate family and also the extended family. Uh, that This guy would begin to oversee not just what was immediate, but also extended, that he would take care of the business and the workers, the aunts and the uncles. And so he was given more money uh, so that personally he had an inheritance, but he also had money to take care of the business and the family. So we can assume that the father didn't have just a third of his wealth tucked under his pillow, that he had to get the money and probably at a loss, that he cashed in the stock, he sold off some of the cattle, but he gives his son what he wants. And I think this is a powerful image to think about, is the father hands the son his money, and the son turns his back on the father and walks away. I mean, the picture here is that, hey, dad, I love your money more than I love you. Like, hey, dad, I'm not so interested in you. I'm interested in the stuff that you can provide me with. And if you would just provide me with your stuff, I don't have to see you or be around you anymore. And what Jesus tells us is that the son is a fool, that he receives a lot of money, and so he does whatever his heart desires. He moves to a big city. He buys a new home. He spends his money on things like new cars, new clothes, new technologies. He's the guy that goes to the bar and buys around for everybody. He's just spending it like there's no tomorrow. He buys his friends. He buys his women, and he's just spending his money as fast 
as he can, that he's trying to gain status, he's trying to gain popularity, everybody thinks he's cool, everybody follows him on Instagram because this is the guy dropping money and all kinds of stuff, and if you hang out with him, and if he thinks you're his friend, he'll spend money on you too. What Jesus says the problem is is that money doesn't last forever, that there's actually economic downturn. He says there's a famine in the land. And so because this guy has spent at a level that's not sustainable, he, he goes from being the guy that is buying everybody's stuff to now he's the guy going to the pawn shop every week trying to sell things as fast as he can. This is the guy that has the stuff on Craigslist, must sell by the end of the week, make me an offer. And so what you know is he's spent at a high level and he's selling at an extremely low level because he has need. And what Jesus tells us is he ends up homeless on the street. No friends, no popularity, no more women, nowhere to go, homeless. And he sells everything he has, including his shoes. So he ends up working the worst possible job for a young Jewish guy. He works for a Gentile on a pig farm. I love bacon, but in the Old Testament, under the law, pigs are considered unclean. The Jewish people were supposed to have nothing to do with them. And so just by nature, this job is an unclean job spiritually. It would taint him. Uh, If you've ever been on a pig farm, it's an unclean job physically. Pigs smell horrible. In fact, I knew a guy that was a pig farmer that literally his wife made him build a shed out in his yard so that when he would come in from the pig field, he would go into the little barn, change his clothes, and then come into the house because his pig clothes weren't allowed anywhere near the living quarters, because they smelled so bad. So this guy is dirty, he is smelly, he's nasty, and he's hungry. In fact, he's so hungry that he looks at the food that the pigs receive, and he goes, that looks good to me. I think he probably looks around and wonders, if I dove in, would anybody know? Would anybody care? And this guy is now craving the food that an animal that he's not even supposed to be around is fed. And so he has this moment in verse 18. It says that he, he remembers that his father's a good father, that he's a good employer. And he knows that he doesn't deserve anything from his father, but he's like, hey, maybe if I can go home and clean the bathrooms, like maybe if my father would hire me as a janitor, I would be better off than this. So in verse 18, he says, I will rise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And what Jesus is explaining is repentance. That's what repentance means, is to to turn away from and to turn towards something. The the, the son realizes, I've messed up. Like the son realizes that he hasn't just sinned against his earthly father, that he sinned against his heavenly father. And he decides, I'm going to go home to my father, because I'll I'll at least get some food, and I'll at least be taken care of. So what Jesus tells us is the son begins the journey home, but then he tells us something about the father. He says that the father is hopefully anticipating the return of his son. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us what the house looks like or anything like that, so this is the Adam Reardon translation of the Bible. But I imagine they had a nice house with a nice front porch on it. I'm thinking like a southern plantation home. And I think every morning the father poured himself a cup of coffee because he's a good father, so he drank coffee. 
He poured himself a cup of coffee, and I think he went out on the porch every morning waiting for his son. I think this was his morning routine. That each morning, the father would go out on the porch and wonder, today, the day, my son comes home. And what Jesus says on this day, he's on the front porch, I think coffee in hand, and he sees somebody at the end of the driveway. And what Jesus tells us is, is that the son begins to walk up the driveway. The father who's waiting for the son sees the son, and, and he knows his son. He knows what his son looks like. He knows what his son walks like, and he recognizes the, the person coming up the driveway. The scriptures say a long way off, that at the end of the driveway, he sees his son, so the father begins to run to the son. Now, I think immediately this is scary to the son uh, because the son had no idea what the father would do to him. Uh, in fact, the, the father could have disowned him. Uh, the father would have legal and Old Testament right to go to the end of the driveway, slap his son in the face, and turn him away. He actually had legal and spiritual status that he could have beaten him at the end of the driveway he could have actually had him killed. There's a provision for that in Deuteronomy 21. So listen, the son's at the end of the driveway, and he sees that the father's running at him. And I have to imagine at first he's like, oh, boy, what's my father going to do to me? Maybe some of you have had that experience before. Uh, you've had that yearning to return to the Lord, but you wonder, I wonder how he'll treat me. Uh, some of you have thought, like, hey, I, maybe I should... Start going to church again, but you had that thought, I wonder how church people will treat me. And I think that's such an unfortunate thought. Because Jesus, who's telling the story, goes, you know what, you know what the Father's like? You know what the heart of the Father is? He says that the Father is running down the driveway with a smile on his face and his arms open because Papa's coming in for a bear hug. And what's interesting is, historically in this time, Jewish men, and this is still true today, uh, Jewish men do not run. It's distinguished. They, they live a distinguished life. So running uh, would mean two things for a Jewish man. Either you did something wrong and you're trying to run away, or something bad is coming and you're trying to run away. Now, this is a little bit important. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but uh, Jewish men in that time wore robes. That's the, the cultural way that they dressed. So to run, a Jewish man would have to lift his robe up, you know, so that he could move his legs. A Jewish man also had undergarments underneath their robe. And so when a Jewish man pulled up his robe, he would expose his undergarments, which was undignified. It was insulting. And yet that's what this father did. He lifts up his robe, he reveals his undergarments, and he begins to run down the driveway. And I think everybody who worked for him, everybody who was around was like, what is going on? Did he do something wrong? Is he running away from something? Only for them to realize, no, no, no he's running to someone. And what Jesus says is he hugs the son and he kisses the son. Uh, the Greek actually translates continually kissing the son. Uh, so this is like the guy just keeps kissing his son on the cheek over and over and over again. And you have to imagine the son's like, I'm good. But the dad's like, no, no, I got one more for you. And so he gives the 
son a hug. And what's interesting, we have to see this, is in this time, everyone follows the lead of the father. So by the father running to embrace the son, no one had the right to do anything but embrace the son. Which means, church, if somebody is embraced by the father, they should also be embraced by us. And now Jesus says that the father begins to lavish his love upon the son, and he does it in three ways. And I want to talk about this quickly because I think this is where we start to get a little bit of meat and a little bit of meaning. We've already seen God's love. We've already seen God's grace. But Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who's telling the story, says specifically that the father does three things. He says the first thing the father does is he yells for a servant and says, somebody get him the best robe. Now, I don't miss this. He didn't send a servant to Salvation Army to find a discount robe. He said, someone get him the best robe. And I think it's safe to assume that in that house, the best robe was the father's robe. So this is a sign of intimacy. He's like, hey, go get him one of my best robes and put it on him. In fact, every Jewish person hearing Jesus tell this story would have instantly thought back to Jacob, who was named Israel by God, giving Joseph the coat. They go, oh, yeah, 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 Jacob gave Joseph a coat is a signature that he was his favored son, that he was a beloved son. That's what fathers do to children they love. They give them robes. And the father dresses him and says, hey, this is a mark of intimacy. This is a mark of you have access to me and my heart. I love you, so I clothe you with my love and with my clothes. He, he then gives him a ring, and the ring signifies identity. Back in those days, you didn't sign paperwork. Uh, you had a ring on your finger that was your family coat of arms. And if you did any kind of business, uh, you would usually dip that ring in wax and then stamp it is a sign and a seal that you made a business transaction. And so this had to do with the identity, hey, you're in the family, but it's more than that. The father's telling the son, you belong to me. You're part of my family. My identity is now your identity. I think of it this way. The son now had access to the father's fridge and to father's finances. You know how comfortable you are by how comfortable you are opening somebody else's fridge, right? You don't walk into most people's home and be like, hey, what you got in here? But when you go to your parents' house, when you go to your family's home, when you go to a home that you're comfortable in, people always gather in the kitchen. Have you ever noticed that when you're at somebody's home, usually you gather around in the kitchen as things are being uh, getting ready, as they're being cooked? And if you're comfortable opening the fridge, it means something. See, if you go to somebody's home, and you're afraid to open the fridge, and you're afraid to go number two, you're not comfortable there. I'm just saying. But the son gets access to the fridge and to the finances. And he goes, hey, you, you have access. You're, you, you are no longer, don't miss this, you are no longer named by your circumstances or the world. See, I imagine that the son, like most of us, would have been tempted to take on the labels of his situation. He would have thought thoughts like, I'm a loser. I'm broke. I'm homeless. 
I'm an idiot with money. I have no friends. I, I blew it. I don't deserve a second chance. I don't deserve my father's love. And the father goes, no, no, no. Only I get to name you because I'm your, I'm your father and you're my son. So when he puts the ring on his son's finger, what he says is, no, 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 none of those names stick. The only name that matters for your life is the name that I give you. And he puts a ring on his finger for his identity. Because only the father, the author and creator of the universe, has the power to name us. And then he does one last thing. He gives them shoes. In this time, workers and slaves were barefoot. The only people that owned shoes were people who owned a business and family members of people who owned a business and were free. So if you weren't in the workforce, you, you didn't wear shoes. You just walked around barefoot. In fact, the, the son sold his shoes. That's how valuable they were. And so what the father says is, hey, go get a pair of my shoes and let's get some shoes on my son's feet because it was a sign of purpose. His, the, the son was being told, hey, you, you are my son whom I love. You are dressed in my robe. You've been given my name. You have access to the fridge and to the finances. Now, I'm going to give you a pair of shoes because I want you to be about my business. I'm going to get you back in the fields. I'm going to get you back in the marketplace because you're part of our family. You're also part of our family business. What the father tells them is you have identity, you have intimacy, but you also have purpose to live a life that I've given you to live. And I love this because this is the father's love. This is the father's grace. This is the father's provision. Now, there's probably some of us that go, hey, the son didn't deserve any of this. And you're right, he didn't. That's God's unmerited favor. That even though we blow it, even though we rebel, he shows us grace. And so here's the son dressed in the father's robe, given the father's identity. He, have, he has access to the father's fridge and to the finances, and he's been given a pair of the father's shoes so he could be about the father's business. And don't forget who's telling us the story. This is Jesus. This is Jesus who, at this time in the Gospels, is preparing to die on the cross in our place for our sins so that rebellious sons and daughters can come home, so that we can return to the Father who loves us and who has sent his Son on a mission to bring us back, that he's a Father who waits on the porch for his sons and his daughters to return so he can robe us in the righteousness of Christ, so he can make us new and give us a new identity that is sealed with the, the filling and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and that he gives us a purpose that we can live for his mission and for his glory empowered by his Holy Spirit. But salvation is a good gift to rebellious sons and to rebellious daughters. And then I love what Jesus tells us about the Father. He says that the Father then calls for his event coordinator. He's like, hey, we need to throw a party. I need a tent. I need a light. I need a DJ. I need a band. Like, we, we need to call the butcher and the caterer. We're going to throw a party. And his father says it this way in verse 24. He says, for my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now is found. Hey, we should celebrate. 
And so this party is beginning to unfold that the father is joyful, that his rebellious son is home, that this is the heart of our heavenly father, that he has joy, that heaven throws a party every time rebellious sons and daughters come home. But Jesus tells us there's another son, and he's out in the field. I think of it this way, that he's out working. And don't miss this, he's lost a part of his financial well-being, so it's been harder to be about the father's business. Uh, The son who rebelled uh, was part of the family business, so when he left, things got harder, things got more difficult, there was more work to do. But this son is the good son. This is the son that listens, yes, dad, follows the rules, obeys, checks things off the list, checks them twice, dots the I's, crosses the T's. This is a son that's about his father's business. And he's out in the field, and I think it was techno music. I don't know why I think that way. But he was out in the field, and he was, and there's a tent going up, and he's going, what's going on? So he goes and finds an employee, and he says, what? what's happening here? And the father, he gets the, the message at his brother's home that he's returned. And so he's angry. He's like, what do you mean? The guy that took a third of our wealth and blew it? The guy who dishonored our father? The guy who threw away the family business? You know, you know that mom didn't sleep the whole time he was gone? That guy's home? And so he goes and finds his father. He's like, what are you doing? And Jesus says that the father pleased with him to join the party. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if my father was throwing an all-expenses-paid barbecue, you don't have to pull my arm very hard to get me to go. And the father's pleading with him, come on, oh, he's returned, he was lost, he, he was found, come on, come on, I, I'm so excited, your, your, your brother's home, I mean, he's really home. And the religious son says, dad, he's dead to me. I'll never forgive him. I'll never reconcile with him. When he turned his back on you, I turned my back on him. Like, Dad, don't you get it? You're asking me to treat him like a hero. You want me to throw a party because he's returned, but think about all he did to get to the point that he had to return. I will not participate in this. And the father begs him. And we have to know a couple things culturally. The father says, son, you have always been with me. But what he says is, you and I see each other every day. I'm always available to you. He tells the son, all I have is yours. But the father is telling him, listen, if you celebrate the return of your brother, it doesn't take away any of your money. The two-thirds of the estate that we have, it's all yours. He's like, son, don't you get it? You already have a robe. You already have a ring. You already have shoes. You already have me. You already have all that I have as far as you can see. The house, the buildings, the land, the cattle, the employees. Son, it's all yours. Your brother doesn't get any more of that. He already got his. This won't cost you anything. But would you come? Don't you get that this is my heart? This is my joy. This is my party. This is what I desire. And the religious son refuses to participate. 
What Jesus reveals is just as much as the rebellious son missed the heart of the father, so the religious son misses out on the heart of his father. And it's at this point of the story that Jesus is surrounded by rebellious sons and daughters and religious sons and daughters. And see, the whole point of the third parable is to ask yourself this question, which son in the story are you? Are you the rebellious son? Or are you the religious son? And I think that Jesus at his barbecue had everybody's attention because they're like, well, we're the religious people, so we know who we are. And the sinners and the tax collectors, there's like everything you described, we've done and more, and we plan to do it again tomorrow. And if you've been paying attention at this point, you might say, hey, I thought that this whole message was about purpose. And it is. Because we discover our purpose in the exact same place that the religious son and daughters and the rebellious son and daughters find their hope. See, there's not just two sons in the story. There's three. There's the son who's telling the story. And what Jesus says is, listen, listen, I've come so that the sinners and the tax collectors can come home. And he says to the religious, I've come so you can come home. You've completely missed out on the heart of the Father. You've completely missed out on a relationship with the Father. So I'm going to die in your place for your sins so that you can come home fully loved, fully accepted, fully adopted, robed in my righteousness, a new identity filled with the Spirit, and that you would have an identity that the world can't attach to but comes only from the Father, that you would be made new. I'm going to do all of this for you. See, what Jesus invites you to be and what he invites me to be is like the third son. Jesus goes, the heart of the Father is he loves his sons and daughters. And do you know what found sons and daughters do? Found sons and found daughters find people who need to come home. Jesus goes, I'm the third son. And you know what I'm here to do? I'm here to bring you all home. My mission is to introduce you back to your father. My mission is to pay the penalty for your sin. Jesus is sinless. He's the one that's dressed and robed in righteousness. Jesus is the unique son of God. He has an identity that no one else has. And Jesus has a purpose. His purpose, he says, is to seek and save the lost for the glory of his father, whom he rejoices every time a lost person comes home. He says, don't you get it? I leave the 99 every time to go after the one. Jesus, don't you get it? When you're lost, I flip over the couch looking for you. He says, don't you get it? Your father is waiting to hug you and embrace you and say, welcome home. And he will then give you a new robe, the righteousness of Christ. 
He'll give you a new identity as a son and daughter sealed by the Holy Spirit. But then he gives you a purpose that we can continually be transformed in the image and the likeness of Christ, that we would live with the same purpose that Christ lived, that we would live for the glory of the Father, but we would also live empowered by the Holy Spirit to seek and save the lost in Jesus' name, that we would be like him, that we would leave the 99 to go after the one, that we would be like the woman who turns up the house to find the lost coin, that we would be like the third person in the story telling religious people and rebellious people, your father wants you to come home. That every single one of us has been given that purpose. And so if you're here this morning and you said, hey, I'm the rebellious son or I'm the rebellious daughter, then here's what I think Jesus wants to say to you. Come home. There's no condemnation. Your father's not going to hurt you at the end of the driveway. He's going to run to you and hug you and kiss you and look at you and say, welcome home. And He robes you. And righteousness. He gives you a new identity and he puts the gospel of Jesus Christ as shoes on your feet so that you would have a mission. Listen, if you are a rebellious son or rebellious daughter, Jesus died in your place for your sins so that you can come home. And he says, when you do, all of heaven throws a party that will be better than any football party that takes better place today. And if you're a rebellious son or daughter, Jesus made the way for you to come home. But if you're a religious son or daughter, what Jesus reminds you is, is don't miss the heart of the Father. Don't be about the rules. Don't be all about the checklists. Your Father's greatest joy is when lost people come home. And so are we living for the heart of the Father? Are we like the Son that the Father says, come to the party? We go, you know, Father, I'm going to have to pray about that. I've got to see what the Lord would tell me about that. He goes, no, no, I've already invited you to the party. I've already given you the purpose. I've already made the sacrifice. Would you just help bring some people to the party? So I would offer you this suggestion if you are a religious person, you could capture the heart of your father by sharing your testimony this week with a person who doesn't know Christ. You could capture the heart of your father this week by sharing your faith with someone who doesn't follow Jesus. You could take an easier road and you could even invite someone to come to church with you next week and we'll tell you about Jesus and then you can take them out to lunch and explain it to them. But here's what Jesus says to you and he says to me, whether you're rebellious or you're religious, that there's a way for you to come home. And when you come home, you're given a robe, the righteousness of Christ. You're given a ring, the identity of God in you. And you're given shoes so that you could live for the glory and for the mission of Jesus because we believe found people find people. Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois, where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.